Football is back, and Bet Online is your number one information source for all your sports wagering info, with all the up-to-the-minute stats, news, scores, and matchup breakdowns. Get the latest game odds, spreads, and totals from the NFL and college football at your fingertips with BetOnline's real-time updates on statistics, news, and odds. From Week 1 all the way to the college football playoff and Super Bowl, BetOnline gives you access to the best football promotions and contests available anywhere online. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Remember to use promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. Can the Astros continue to be road warriors as the ALDS heads to Minnesota? Can Christian Javier right the ship against Sonny Gray? And why are you guys still throwing change-ups to Jordan Alvarez? Blummer and I discuss, let's f***ing go. What's up, H-Town? Welcome to the Believe in Astros podcast. Your home for all things Astros. With your hosts, sports writer Jeff Balky and Astros broadcaster and former third baseman Jeff Blom. Now, here's Balky and Blomber. What is up, Astros fans? Welcome to episode 93 of the Believe in Astros podcast on the Believe Podcasting Network. I'm Jeff Balky, back from the mountains of Colorado, though I still have a nosebleed. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> My partner, Jeff Blum, is back with me this week, enjoying the part-time off-season. Blummer, how are you doing this morning? I'm good. A little, little exhausted. The, the yeah. schedule's been chaotic, but it's good to be back on. Yeah, I want to talk to you about that. At first, right out of the gate, the Space City Home Network. So I, I, I talked a little bit about it with Mike Stanton last week, who generously filled in for you. And, um, you know, I, the concept is great. I love it. Ever since CSN you know, sort of imploded upon itself uh, a decade ago. You know, it's just been rough having a network that's not really controlled by the teams. Now that controlled by the teams, and of course they have carriage agreements through, you know, 2035. Mm-hmm. But you guys are getting to do post games, albeit a little bit rushed. I mean, we only had like a week to figure out what you're going to do. Um, <laughs> but uh, still, it's cool to see you guys talking about the game. I don't have to sit there and listen to Fox guys or MLB guys. I can listen to local people. How, how have you liked it so far? Uh, well, I'm just grateful for the opportunity, and I can't believe it took seven years to figure this thing out. Right. But, uh, you know, eventually it did. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it, it's always interesting to be on the production side of things because you mm-hmm. figure as a fan and as an ex-player, you just turn on the camera and talk some baseball and we'll all be good. But, uh, the, you know, you get a lot of cooks in the kitchen and things start to un- un- unfold. I almost <laughs> said unravel, but uh, unfold. <laughs> But, uh, you know, eventually we're going to figure this thing out. It may not be the cleanest, most, you know, uh, beautiful product. But like you said, at the same time, I'm just grateful for the opportunity to be able to give some input instead of sitting there watching these post-game shows like all of you who are listening to this and going, what? Why did he say that? What the hell does that mean? Instead, you're going to get a little more of an Astros tinge to it, which uh, we know rarely happens in a national broadcast. Yeah, absolutely. I I mean, I think it's it's that's the part of it that I love. Tonight, I I know that they are not running the post game until ten o'clock because it's after the because it's after the (laughs) rocket. Get your coffee in you. Listen, listen. I'm going to be at the Foo Fighters tonight, so I will not oh, be watching that that's 10 so o'clock. Good. Yeah, I will not be. Uh, I'm not going to be watching that 10 o'clock broadcast. Um, but I will tell you this: it's cool that the Rockets are on, but it's preseason. Um, 
maybe don't run the post game at like 10. Like maybe do an abbreviated one because the game's going to be over by probably six. Rockets don't come on until 730. Anyway, it's it's like I said, you guys had like a week to prepare. So everybody should just have some well, patience for now. And, and spoiler alert, <laughs> I will not be on the 10 p.m. live post game post game show. I don't blame you. Will they will Minute Maid Park like it like you were in Minute Maid Park last time. They're not going to open it for you guys to wander no, in at be, 10 o'clock. They'll be in studio downtown. Yeah, okay. That makes the most sense cuz I was going to say yeah. like I know you guys were at the ballpark before. I mm-hmm. mean, can you <laughs> Can you imagine if they asked you to travel for that crap and then you're like, um, imagine right. just getting up to the door and being like, hey, uh, we got a post game to tape. Can you guys, uh, can you guys listen? Pardon me, security. I'll tell you th- something else. And I don't know if a lot of people know this. Like when I've been up there and covered games, that place shuts down fast. I've never it's seen crazy, a place, right? I've never seen a place go dark so quick in my entire life. Like I was, I was up there earlier this year and went down to the locker room for some interviews, then came back up, finished my story. So this is probably an hour after the game is over. When I walked out, it was a ghost town. There was like one person at one bar cleaning up. I mean, I know <laughs> down in the bowels, there's some people still, you know, tossing a garbage, but like the floors were already clean. The garbage was already picked up. The lights were out in the ballpark. I was like, what the hell is happening? I felt like I was the last man standing. It's the weirdest mm-hmm. thing. And it's pretty creepy being in there at night like that. It is pretty weird. I mean, you go from what, like 42, 43,000 <laughs> right. people, just raucous and madness. Exactly. And all of a sudden, just poof. Just pure just dead disappears. silence. <laughs> I know. It's like a Scooby-Doo <laughs> mystery. Um, also, Blummer, I, I got to ask, now that the network is on there, uh, will we be seeing a little more like Blummer? On uh, in some content, I'd love to see it. Like your thing you I, did with Bregman and Bagwell was excellent. Oh, I'd like to see some more of that business. Yeah, that that was a lot of fun, and it was good. It was great to be on the production side of that and actually help facilitate that, which was super awesome. Um, if they ever ask me anything about that, I will be. I will <laughs> offer my services and be more than welcome to the opportunity. So, uh, the threat is that there's going to be some more content. I'm not sure in what capacity, but I, if they're listening, I'm available. <laughs> <laughs> well, aren't we all? Because <laughs> it would be fun. <laughs> no, I think it'd be great. Like, look, any local content is great. You know, the CSN when it was on for its brief oh, run, it had some it really good local stuff. I loved seeing like a local daily sports thing. You know, like mm-hmm. a thirty minute Sports Center style sort of rundown with panel guests and stuff. I think that's an excellent. I mean, look, we're in the fourth largest city in America. There's a lot to talk about here. I mean, and not just pro sports. You know, college, high school. I mean, it, well, this is the this is the state of Friday Night Lights. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot you can cover, and I think that would be. I mean, especially since on every other network you get like you know five or seven minutes worth of sports every night if you're lucky. Yeah. So yeah, the the more the merrier. I'll, I'll recommend you for program director too. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that is. A, I, let me tell you something. That is a headache I do not want. I will. I will take hard pass on that one. Oh Lord! Trying to wrangle those cats. No thanks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and oh, and never mind. Never mind battling between management and like former athletes. No offense to you, but mm. good Lord, I don't think so. Because mm-hmm. I'm always. By the way, I'm always going to side with the former athletes. There's no question. On a hundred percent of the time, and that's not just because you. That's because let's be honest. Who who knows what they're talking about? Those guys, you guys, <laughs> the, whoever is the bean counter at the top, mm. 
No thanks. All right, we move on. Uh, so let's yeah. talk about the first no two games of this roller coaster of a season that is continuing. Um, game one, honestly, the Astros could have won that game six nothing if not for Hector Neris just having a bizarre implosion, something we haven't really mm-hmm. seen from him at all. Um, and then game two, you know, they ran into a buzzsaw pitcher uh, in Pablo Lopez and just couldn't get any hits. And then Framber Valdez with just the wheels coming off. Um, it's so weird how this team is just like this. What are your thoughts? No, I, I, it's amazing. I was kind of in the camp of, okay, the, the regular season was interesting in itself. Mm-hmm. It's going to figure itself out when we get to the postseason because you're going to condense these series. There's a little right. more intensity on every single game. Right. And then we saw Framber Valdez, like you said, the you know the, the the string started to pull away from the sweater. Then all of a sudden, Weezer showed up and just pulled the entire thing out, and it just unraveled. Um, he was having trouble finding the zone, um, uncharacteristically giving up home runs, yes. which was just bizarre. So it was just one thing led to the next, and unfortunately, we saw Framber kind of fall apart and unable to regain himself and get back in that ball game. I'm with you on that. What happened is. <laughs> Suddenly we're Excuse joking me. at the same time. Yeah, right. Like what's happening? I mean, we're a couple of streets <laughs> apart, and we got the same <laughs> funk. Exactly. But uh, but yeah, and then the offense got uh, flustered by Pablo Lopez, and it was yeah. kind of interesting to hear some of the post game comments, most notably from Chaz McCormick, who's scuffling in this series uh, with the fat, you know, fastballs up, two seamers down, and then sliders and changeups. Yeah, uh, that's why they went and got Pablo Lopez, and he pitched more like an ace than Sonny Gray did, who were who the Astros are going to face in Game Three. Right, Pablo Lopez really looked great. Um, he was just varying those pitches. You know, I, I if we had talked about it with a little bit with Mike Stanton last week, where, you know, the 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 pitching now is this, you know, it's it's a lot about location. You know, he, he mentioned it. I didn't know this that, you know, pitchers are throwing fewer fastballs. Like last year oh. was the first year that it was it's under fifty under fifty percent, which is mm-hmm. incredible. Um, and so you're seeing more of this, like locating locating pitches and then throwing balls, like throwing the breaking pitch. Or the or the change up, um, he was just he just had it going. You know he had it going, and Fromber didn't. Um, it, you know the Astros' defense was very solid both games. Um, That's been a plus in both games. You're right. Yes, it's been very solid. But I, you know they just could not put a bat on the ball. Like I thought, Jordan got into one early, and it turned out to mm-hmm. be just allowed out. And then he did get into one late because he's Jordan. But. Um, that's it. It was it was very difficult getting getting a barrel on the ball against Pablo Lopez for sure. Yeah, and you know that's. I'm trying to figure out how to say this diplomatically. Um, you know, you're going to have games like Game One where the Astros come out and slug. You know, the mm-hmm. expectation with Ober starting because of the wild card round, mm-hmm. you expected the Astros to mash. They did. And when they hit the home run ball, they are hyper successful. When they yep. score first, they're hyper successful. But in the playoffs, you're going to run into games like Pablo Lopez. And you may even see it tonight with the Astros in game three against yeah. Sonny Gray, who last time they faced him, granted it was in April of this season, he struck out 13 Astros. So keep an eye on that. They're going to be doing a lot of studying. But what I'm trying to get to is you've got to change if you're not going to go out there and slug and you're facing a guy that's just dealing you can walk back after that first time through the lineup and go dude this guy's got his a game we need to battle we need to scrap we need to claw 
We saw a couple of base hits. We saw guys getting into scoring position. We saw walks. Yeah. What we need to see is productive outs. And I'm not picking on this one guy, but there's a guy at the bottom part of the order that had a couple of runners on and didn't move them 90 feet. If you're going to make outs, make sure that one out you make is productive. Yes. And that's where I kind of felt like Jeremy Pena, who's done a great job of swinging the bat in the postseason again, getting on base. If it's a third inning, bunt him to second base and let the top of the lineup try and drive him in. If you have him at second base after a leadoff double, hit the ball the other way. Get him to third base less than two outs because sometimes just cracking the seal and scoring a run gives your team hope and confidence and everybody's pushing in the right direction and things could change the momentum a little bit. That's all I'm trying to say. Well, look, you're not alone in that. I think, you know, I, I posted on Twitter in my uh, semi-emotional state um, that, you know, allowing Martin Maldonado to remain in a game where you cannot hit, uh, but you getting guys on base because, like you mentioned, Jeremy Pena has been fantastic. Gosh, it's it's just, it's almost a crime, you know, that you get guys, because what happens is you have this sort of like you're going along, going along, and there's just a cliff. And that cliff is, and, and, you can't get to the top of your line. Jose Altuve bunted for a single, right? Like these guys will do anything to get on base. And so that's the it, mentality that, that and, I like that. And you've got to have that. And I'll, I'll bring up one other thing, not to totally uh, dog on Martin Maldonado, but I'll bring up something else. What is with the Astro? And this happened in both games, really. They are not seeing enough pitches from their, from these guys, unless they're hitting unless they're getting base hits or home runs, they're not Mm -hmm. fouling balls off. They're not forcing longer at bats. It feels Mm -hmm. to me like there's a lot of guys up there swinging, you know, for the, for the fences. I've as good as, as he has been at the end of the season, um, you know, Jose Abreu, I can't calculate the number of times he's and two after the first two pitches. You know, and, and, and it's his like lob numbers, the, those left on base numbers have gone up. And that's yeah, you, that's gonna be a that's gonna be a a uh, strategy for the opposing team yeah. with him hitting behind Tucker. I feel like you've just to me, like the Astros are so good at getting into pitchers just by you know, just by having good mm-hmm. long at bats. And they just I haven't agree. had that so far. They just really haven't they've gone up there with the mentality of hitting home runs and you know, driving the ball, which is great. But if you can't drive the ball, then you need to do something to prolong those at-bats. Increase that pitch count. You know, get mm-hmm. into the bullpen. That's something the Astros have done consistently for the last six or seven years. I just haven't seen that in the first couple of games. I wish we would see more of that. No, I agree. And and in their defense, when you're facing a guy like Pablo yeah. Lopez, who's locating and getting ahead early, yeah. sometimes you shift your mentality like, I've got to attack that first pitch fastball I see. And sometimes it's maybe on the edges, so it makes that swing decision right. just a little bit tougher. And like you said, instead of fouling them off, they pop it up or they roll it over and it's in play right. and you're out. So, you know, it, it, it's a tough line to walk when you're facing a guy like Pablo Lopez, who is absolutely darting every edge. And DJ Rayburn's strike zone was terrible. Both oh. sides. I mean, it was bad oh, for the Twins. It was, it was bad for the Astros. And it, and so you kind of get in this defensive mode with no strikes. And that's where you start to see a little bit of that swing early come, kind of come into play. So uh, credit to Pablo Lopez overall. Yeah. But uh, yeah, for I, sure. I could see them working some counts. That strike zone was crazy. Like he didn't, he w- refused to call a low strike. I mean, there was just no, he was Carlos Correa was up. I mean, he wasn't he wasn't that calling was a strike at the bottom of the zone. There's no way mm-hmm. he's just not calling one. Um, 
So the ask, so here's the next thing that was brought up when I was on the radio yesterday. Is this necessarily a bad thing since the Astros have been so good on the road? And my answer was maybe if this were a seven-game series. But in a five-game mm-hmm. series, you can't really afford to lose anything. You lose the momentum. But look, let's be honest. The Astros were great on the road this year and terrible at home. <laughs> um, and honest, on and both sides of the ball. Right, exactly. And if you look, too, like a lot of teams have been bad at home. We've seen what mm-hmm. happened to the Dodgers. My goodness. Um, and even the Braves nearly lost both of their games at home. So it's, it's you know, th- things are not exactly going great uh, for the home teams in this early uh, ALDS. Maybe for the Astros, this is what they need. Go on the, go to Minnesota and, you know, crank out, a, crank out a few home runs and see what happens. No, I'm with you on that. Their numbers are egregiously better on the on the road <laughs> for whatever reason, and you know, not to mention they're scoring what five, almost five and a half runs, over five runs on, on the road. Right. Their pitching staff is overall pitching staff is giving up a yeah. three point six two ERA. So it's kind of this perfect marriage of good offense, good pitching on the road, yeah. and. Why do we still hear the narrative, oh, it's going to be a hostile environment? All I heard from the Minnesota Twins is, it's louder at Target Field. It's going to be mayhem. Dude, pump the brakes, Minnesota. I would love to bring a microphone with me everywhere the Astros have (laughs) gone this season and and just play back what they're hearing and what they're dealing with. And go ahead and bring it. These guys have dealt with the worst of the worst. Right. And they have thrived. So go ahead, bring the booze. Exactly. Because booze season usually brings wins. That's exactly right. And I'll tell you something else, too, Blumer. I've been thinking about this a lot. I just don't feel like, in most instances, that the crowd intensity has as much of an impact on baseball as it does in other sports. And the reason I say Mm -hmm. that is because, first of all, in football, you just have more there are more people, right? You sometimes have a hundred thousand people in a stadium. That's the same size as a baseball park. I mean, that's just, mm-hmm. you know, that's just incredible. The other, and in basketball, you're in a sealed in arena. So when it gets loud in a basketball arena, you can't talk to people next to you at all. So I feel like with baseball, especially with the, you know, with the open roof um, and all that, I just don't know if it's that loud, but to your point, even more importantly, uh, the Astros are great in bad environments. They love it. They're like, they welcome it. It's almost right. like, it's almost like they're opposite of kryptonite. Like whatever the opposite of kryptonite is for Superman. It's adrenaline like or seem something. to just energize them. It's like they just suck it all in and like suddenly become superhuman. So mm-hmm. go ahead and bring that stuff. I think it's good for them. You know what a lot of fans don't realize, too? And obviously, the crowd noise adds to the ambiance and the atmosphere. Right. I love it. You know, when I'm a fan, I'm booing, I'm cheering. I'm, yeah. you know, I'm, I want these guys to hear everything, and I feel like I'm a part of it. But when I was on the field, the worst hecklers I ever had were in stadiums that were not full. When the stadium gets full, you can hear them. it turns into white noise. It's right. just this, this ambient <laughs> that's kind of going. But when you have 3,000 people in the stands, and I got this guy yelling, Tabak knock, blum, you know, effing me in, in French. I hear that guy when I'm in when I'm in veteran stadium and that dude down the third baseline who's got you know who's had a rough day at work and a couple of beers, blum you stick. Guess what I hear? I hear that guy. But if he's got thirty five thousand friends around him, I don't hear nothing. I just hear this. You know, that's it. I I tell you, um, it reminds me uh, years ago when the Astrodome was basically empty. 
right? I, this was in the 80s. Every stadium's had those years, yeah. Yeah, when they had some bad years in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And some buddies of mine and I went to every oh, single here we go. Mets game. Every <laughs> single one. Like when they were here. And for the entire... Most of the games we sat out in the bleachers. You know, had a dome dog, had some dome foam. It's all good. But one legit. day we, we managed to squeeze ourselves into a into a spot right behind, right beside first, first base. Yes. Where none other than Keith Hernandez happened to be playing. <laughs> and uh, and we heckled him mercilessly for the entire game. I mean, it was just and the thing is, here's the thing. I don't even to be honest with you, it's so long ago. This is like the summer of 87, I think is what it was. I don't really remember exactly what was said. But I do mm-hmm. remember that one of my friends said something so egregious that Hernandez finally just turned around and looked at us and went, really? Got <laughs> <laughs> like, like that was it. It was so weird. I'm like, you're from New York, man. You should be able to handle this. But <laughs> right? yeah. So in that empty stadium, you really, really Ooh. can hear guys. And I'm sure it gets incredibly brutal. I can't imagine what it's like in some places, like if it were ever empty in New York or I know in Oakland it can get pretty weird, um, mm-hmm. but oh, yeah, yeah Oakland does get weird. It was, it was, yeah. So I understand in these big. You're right though; these big places where everybody's yelling, you can't hear any one single person. You mm-hmm. know, you. Uh, so that's why that's another reason why I love spring training baseball. When you listen yeah. to it on the radio, you can just hear everybody saying everything, and it's just so spectacular. No FCC rules at all <laughs> on the <laughs> radio during those games. All right, so t- so tonight, Gray versus Javier. How early do you think the Astros are going to have how, – how how short of a leash do you think they're going to have for Christian Javier tonight? I mean, I they do have Hunter Brown. They do have uh, Jose Urquidy. They have a full complement of bullpen guys who should be rested after the day off. Like, what do we think, you know, I mean, obviously if he's pitching well, they're going to leave him in and, and rightfully so, but mm-hmm. what, how, how short of a leash do you think we're going to have on him? Well, you've got to be careful because, you know, you win this game, or no matter what you're playing game four. Right. So you've got to protect game four. Who, who's going to be those two guys? So I think two guys in that bullpen that haven't been announced as maybe starters or piggyback mm-hmm. guys for game four, whether it be Urquidy. If I had to go out on a limb right now, I'd say Jose Arquiti is going to start game four, be backed up by JP France, and then, you know, everybody else. But so you got to protect against that. So your bullpen is already two down. Um, I think for in a perfect world, you've got Christian Javier giving you two times through the order. If you go two times through that order, maybe in that fourth or fifth inning, you mm-hmm. sit, you're sitting there seeing where you're at. And you're able to get to that point and you have, you know, it depends on hits, exit velocity mm-hmm. off of him. How many runs have been scored? Is he walking anybody? You know, a lot of these things come into uh, come into play. But once you get to that second time through the order and you say, okay, we, we have exhausted Christian Javier. We've gotten everything we want out of him. Right. Then what? To your point, you know, uh, Hunter Brown finishing off that game too. How much does he have left in the tank? There was a day off, so you might be able to get an inning out of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stanek, I mean, other than you know being Stanek and kind of missing the zone, he got through his inning. He did. Um, you know, do you get? How do you get through that? You know, because I think it's more, what's going to be important in this game is Javier giving you a good two times through the order, and then give who's the bridge? Who's the guy that's going to get you to? 
you know, hopefully a good Neris Abreu Presley right. type situation. I think that's where the question lies. And just a quick note, during the regular season on the road, Christian Javier had a 5.17 ERA. He was much better at home. Yeah. Gave up seven home runs at home in, I think, 68 innings. In 94 innings on the road, gave up 18 home runs. So he has got to throw strikes and keep the ball in the ballpark. Yeah, if he if he can if they can get four innings out of him, then you can D- definitely doesn't that feel yeah. If you get four innings out of him, you really just need to get five and six. Which to me, you've got Brown, Maton, uh, you've got um, Stanek, you got Montero. You have four guys that you can you can bridge your way through yeah. to Naris and and uh, Abreu and Presley. So and and because everybody's rested now, you don't want to. Also, you have, do have to think about Game Four because you don't want to burn out everybody. Um, <clears throat> so mm-hmm. they're probably going to be pretty careful with them. If they do end up in a Game Five, do they bring JV back? I yeah. mean, it's, it's. Could you imagine, dude? I want to be at Minute Maid Park. I mean, I don't want to yeah. be at Minute Maid Park for Game Five unless no, I don't absolutely have to. <laughs> exactly. But a, but a Pablo Lopez and a oh. and a Justin Verlander show. Yeah, that, that would, would be, be pretty exciting. good. I know, although I know Verlander, Major League Baseball wants that. Although, you know, man, Verlander has not been great on short rest this year. <laughs> God damn. I hate even talking about that kind of stuff. The Athletic mentioned an interesting matchup tonight, too, and that is Royce Lewis against Javier. Um, mm. Lewis has been murder against right-handed pitchers, particularly fastballs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's exactly what Javier does. I think he's a guy you really have to be careful with. I mean, he's a guy you have to be careful with, period. But with a mm-hmm. with a right-hander, um, you know, especially if, if – look, one of Javier's biggest problems has been his breaking pitch. If he can't get that yeah. breaking pitch to work, you know, he's going to have to be really good at locating the heater. Um, and Royce Lewis can hit the, the, you know, the high fastball too, so – yeah. Javier's Javier's last outing for me, the fastball slider curveball looked very good yeah, against Arizona. And he was well, throwing he, strikes. He looked really good his last like three outings, mm-hmm. maybe four outings. He did look pretty good. Hopefully that carries over. Odds for tonight, uh, it's basically a toss-up. The twins are minus one thirty-five, Astros are plus one fifteen. So really huh. not a huge difference between the two of them. Twins a little bit of an advantage. I'm sure just home field <clears throat> home. giving them that and uh, and probably the pitching matchup because you've got Sonny Gray on the mound. But not a huge separation between the two of them, uh, which I find really fascinating. Uh, game time, obviously, I was going to say tonight. It's actually this afternoon. <laughs> uh, just a reminder, game time at 3.10, I think. Uh, yeah, I think that actually helps the Astros because the weather will probably be around 55, 60 degrees, so it'll be yeah. a little bit warmer. Daylight, <laughs> they play better during the day. Yeah. Uh, they play better on the road. Um, I got a question for you. Did yeah. you hear Dusty saying that he is going to use, which is interesting because you're going to put a fly ball pitcher on the mound and pos- and obviously Jordan Alvarez in left field, yeah. which is you know not something Dusty normally does, but right. he's doing it to force Yiner Diaz into the game at DH possibly. Good. I haven't seen the lineup yet. Good. I hope that's the case. I mean, look, Michael <clears throat> Brantley is spectacular, but <clears throat> I like Michael Brantley when he's had a day's rest. You know, now he's had one, maybe another I think that's one, the idea, too. And off the bench, uh, I like him with that uh, for a possible game four. But Yonder Diaz needs at-bats. I mean, that's just the reality. He needs at-bats. The guy – and the guy can hit it all over the yard. That's the thing that's mm-hmm. re- been remarkable about him is never mind he's that he's – He's a constant hit. threat. He is. He puts so much pressure on, on not just the pitcher, but he puts so much <clears throat> pressure on 
everyone in the in the field mm-hmm. because you don't know where he's going to hit it to. He sprays the ball all over the place. He can hit the long ball. He drives for doubles. Um, and he's not an unathletic catcher. He's not a guy that you can, can run. You can't double him off as easily as you can in a typical cat a typical catcher. So yeah, and, and frankly, I would like to see the Astros employ a little more hit and run um uh against against uh if they can get a guy on like you've said if you can get Jeremy Payne on or you get somebody on and then you can get I'd be fine somebody with that too. Him. Let's get play, a little play, hit play, play a little bit of the strategy game. Yeah, play a little small ball. Let's mm-hmm. let's see some of that. I want to see how that happens because well, I, I understand think why you it. can't pick pockets of your lineup. Obviously we know 1 through 5 these guys are going to go out there and mash, take walks, yeah. get big hits. But when you get down to that bottom part, why can't you employ a little bit of strategy in small ball with that po- <laughs> with that pocket of your lineup? I don't I don't mind that idea, especially here in the playoffs against good pitching. Right. And honestly, I think what <clears throat> when you see teams that are really good, they're teams that are also really creative. You know, teams mm-hmm. that are really creative in complicated difficult situations. Sometimes it's a risk, but you know it. It's, that's sometimes you got to take those risks, especially in games where the margin is so small. You know, the margin yeah. for success is really going to. I mean, we say that, and and the Astros got blown out in the last one, basically. But the truth is, is that the margin in these games is tiny. If you get, let's just take for example, you get Jeremy Pena on first. If you're able to just get in a hit and run or a bunt something like that to move him over, and now you turn the lineup over, and you've got and the top of your order. double play. Exactly, exactly. And especially with Jose Altuve, who's a guy that really he'll hit anywhere anything. Let's throw mm-hmm. it up there. So yeah, I'm I'm with you, Blummer. I think we need more of that kind of level of creativity, more of that level of uh thinking outside the box against these guys. Yeah, and one thing that we that a lot of people don't talk about, you're like, play small ball, do this, do that. It puts mm-hmm. pressure on the defense. Yes. And if you can make that defense uncomfortable and maybe make them play out of position or try and anticipate something, it just gets their mind moving a little bit, and then that forces them to come in and make the de- make the catch, make the decision. Where am I going to throw this ball? Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, I made a bad throw. It got away, and all hell breaks loose. <clears throat> and all hell breaks loose. Right. You know, you put you're putting pressure on the defense isn't a bad idea. Well, you see that too with like if you. You just like Jose Altuve bunted. The third baseman mm-hmm. was standing practically in the grass. You know, he <laughs> yeah, didn't. He was right. like, ah, crap. You know, it's like that's one of those things. Or sometimes you just put pressure on guys because look, the Twins are a pretty good defensive team, but they're not above making a, an errant throw. Mm-hmm. You know, and the the Astros kind of iffy on the corners for me. Yeah, and the Astros have been very good at capitalizing on those types yeah. of mistakes. And extra uh, outs. So just yeah. want to push. Yeah, everything you just get those get those base runners moving, and to me, good things happen when you're like that. I mean, look, I love the Gary Pettis attitude. It's just everybody run all the time. <laughs> I do. I, I love it. Um, so I, I I read this interesting story by Ken Rosenthal, where he's talking about the structure of the ALDS and how it seems to be favoring the away teams, the the teams with the lower seed. Um, and one of the things he mentioned, and I thought this was because I, I don't know how much you know there really there is to, to go with that because he, he talked about how much rest there is in between, and I, I don't know how much that makes a difference. But one thing he did mention is that it really does favor teams with say just two really good starting pitchers. If you mm-hmm. have two really good starting pitchers, then 
even if the rest of your team is mediocre, you can come in and show. I mean, and of course, we saw this with the Astros when they played against Kevin Brown back in the day, um, you know, or against the Braves, obviously. You know, you have a couple of really good pitchers and you can just shut a team down. And he suggested one option would be reseeding in the postseason instead of mm-hmm. always having the top seed play the play the lowest seed, that sort of thing. I don't know that it matters that much, though. Um, what do you think about the structure generally? Well, if I'm understanding this article correctly, it sounds like a defense of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Well, we don't. We wouldn't. Who would dare suggest that Ken Rosenthal would be trying to protect the Los Angeles Dodgers? I love Ken, but man, this sounds just like a defense after what we saw in the first two games. Because Mm -hmm. I was I was on a a radio show the other day, and that question popped up, and it was Mm -hmm. primarily because of the Dodgers or the National League Division Series with the Dodgers and Arizona Diamondbacks taking Sunday off. I mean, I understand the monetary issue of it, but. You, you still have to maintain the integrity of these series, play back-to-back days. Because yeah. now you're going to have a division series with five games between the Diamondbacks and Dodgers where there's going to be three days off. Are you kidding me? You went game That's one, day off, game two, day, game two, day off, uh, a huge travel day from uh, Los Angeles to Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to have another uh, couple of games in Phoenix and then possibly another day off. I mean, it's exhausting. It does favor the team that doesn't have – the depth of maybe an Astros or depth of maybe a uh, Los Angeles Dodgers team, because you're allowing that day to kind of set up the following day. And if you can, if I can blow a reliever at 25 pitches to 30 pitches or a starting pitcher that I can maybe send out there for an extra 10 or 15 pitches, maybe an extra inning. And I know Mm -hmm. I've got three more days off built into this thing. He's going to be well rested by game four or game five if we get there. And it allows you to bring those two guys back. So I think, think there's a valid point to that but it also sounds like a defense of the astros or defense of the dodgers well you know it's funny uh last last podcast we're kind of discussing the dodgers saying and mike stanton does not like how they handle their pitching in los angeles he just doesn't think they're did you watch that game last night I Dave Roberts got it. booed out of the stadium when he took bruised our gratterall out of that game it was so, i felt terrible i mean you know i just don't know like the dodgers I mean, stop defending the Dodgers. First of all, the Dodgers are going to do. The yes, Dodgers please. are going to Dodger, right? Let them do. It. And frankly, Arizona's been Dodgering a, for a decade now. <laughs> and frankly, Arizona's a great story, man. Uh, a good team. I mean, Gallon is a Strum. good. Gallon is a good pitcher. Like <sighs> Gallon is a very good pitcher. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Somebody posted a cool meme of his. It was like a what's his first name? I always forget. Gallon. Uh, Zach Gallon. Zach Gallon. I always think of Joey Gallo and I mix them up. They, were, they <laughs> had Zach Gallon, Zach Court, and Zach Pint, and they were like smaller. <laughs> I was like, that's pretty good. That's I got to give up for that. He's yeah, a very he good pitcher. like Zach Gallon last night. Yeah. Right. And you've got guys like Evan Longoria who just doesn't seem to ever stop playing baseball. He's um, ageless. Yeah. I know. Unbelievable. So, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're good and they're fun. And look, Philly beat the Atlanta last year. That's going to be mm-hmm. a tough series. Atlanta had to make an incredible play. I mean, they just had to a, scrap to get back. I mean, <laughs> that double play to end the game was insane. It was insane. insane. So yeah, it's it's a um, it's it's crazy out in the NL. On then mm-hmm. we come over here, we've got the Astros, but <laughs> the Rangers are just mowing down the Orioles as if the Orioles 
had never played a game in their lives until suddenly. But the the Rangers have to score eleven runs a game to win. It's amazing to me that wow. you score, see them score eleven runs and they win, and they're like, "Yeah, we demolished them." And I looked at the score and I'm like, "Dude, that's eleven to eight." <laughs> I'm like, you gave up eight runs and you, and you had to you slug your way out of that thing. It's crazy. I know. You wonder how long that can last. You get against that's, a team that's what I seriously wonder, yeah. You get against a team that's got good pitching and suddenly that's the deal. So there was a, one interesting thing Colin, uh, that uh, Chandler Rome brought up about the Astros have no lefty relievers yet again, right? And I just, I'm, maybe it's me and maybe I just I like the modern analytics and all that kind of stuff. Maybe I'm nerdy that way. But honestly, who cares, right? Like uh, they they talk to the Astros pitching coaches and they're like, we're not looking for good lefties. We're looking for good pitchers, right? That's mm-hmm. our main concern, yep. good pitchers. And there are a lot of – Astros have a lot of good right-handed pitchers who can throw to lefties. Neris is – I mean, yes. you know, the other game notwithstanding, Neris has that splitter that's really good against lefties. Ryan Presley's been very good against lefties. And by the way, what good has it done them? Teams keep bringing in lefties to face Jordan. Like, what are you doing? Have you not watched anything in the past? Like, just, I mean, so to me, I feel like that's kind of an antiquated thing. If you've got a guy that can pitch, especially with all the breaking balls being thrown now, it's one thing, because guys (laughs) used to be afraid to go inside on lefties because they'd throw a fastball, and if they just miss a little bit, they'll turn on it. But now you can throw breaking pitches against guys. You can throw curves and sliders that break in on their hands. Or, or change-ups that break away from them down and away. I mean, mm-hmm. I think it's kind of a weird thing that everybody feels like we have to have lefty-on-lefty matchup. It's not working. I mean, I, good Lord. I mean, it's funny because Dusty's finally gotten to the point where he's like, screw it, our guys can hit left-handed pitching, so he ba- he doubles them up. You have Tucker protecting Jordan Alvarez, and all it does is, if you're the, if you could see the opposing managers going, ooh, that's where I'm going to use my left-handed pitcher, and or, then I'm going to bring him in, and then we're going to, oh, shit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, exactly. I mean, those guys destroy matchups. They just destroy game plans. And I think it's more to your point. If you've just got somebody who can get keep a hitter off balance out of the out of the bullpen, mm-hmm. like a Hector Neris, Stanek, Mayton, Presley, these guys have really good really good matchup splits because the split finger, because of the breaking ball, because yeah. of the spin that they have. They create opportunities to get both sides of the plate out, as opposed to just saying. Back in 82, lefties got lefties out at this rate. That doesn't play much more anymore. And it's a credit to these hitters too, man. Some of these hitters, unless the numbers really are exaggerated, they don't make any sense. you got to bring in your best pitcher. And, you know, that actually – I talked to Larry Durker quite a bit about how he managed. Mm-hmm. And he always said – you know, I asked him about matchups. I asked him mm-hmm. about leaving pitchers in. And Durker always said he had the same comment. He goes, if I go out to the mound and there's a matchup with a left-handed hitter, right-handed hitter, he goes, I didn't think about the arm they were throwing with. I was thinking about who is the best option at this point. Right. And I think that's what you have to narrow it down to. What is the better option? Is it is it Thielbar? Is it Robbie Ray? Or is it Seawald? Or is it some other right-hander out of my bullpen? Right. Well, I'll tell you this much. Whoever it is, they better not throw a changeup against Jordan Alvarez. God, no. I mean, just Dude. what are you doing? Whenever I see that, I'm like, did you just throw a changeup to Jordan Alvarez? Are you Unless you have you? Pablo Lopez's changeup, don't throw it. Yeah, exactly, right? And and look, the truth is he got away with one in the, mm-hmm. that he first did, right. first time it. through. 
Yep. Jordan just caught it off the end of the bat. Otherwise, that ball's gone. Mm. And um, now I will say Kyle Tucker doesn't hit the ch- change up nearly as well. So you know, I'm sure you can throw it against him, but don't throw it against Jordan. <laughs> the man God, does, no. and and nobody will throw a fastball against him either. Because they're afraid that well, when you turn around ninety nine and mm. put it on top of the batter's eye, you're gonna you're gonna put some doubt in people's minds. Yeah, like when you're hitting one hundred and fifteen off the bat, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so then they're like, like, "Oh, let's throw him a changeup. He won't hit that." Mm. 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 Just that only I, comes off the bat at one hundred and twelve. Exactly. It's like a little velocity dip. Unfortunately, that one didn't make the upper deck. It only made yeah. the lower deck. It's like he yeah, is a beast. sacrificed the father of the family instead of everybody else. Jeez. <laughs> he is a uh, beast. The man is a beast. beast. All right. Well, we will be back uh, with a fresh pod next week um, brought to you by Bet Online. We could be talking about the ALCS. We could be wrapping up the season. We have no idea. That is the joy of postseason baseball and the sorrow. Isn't that As how it, the entire season has felt? Yes. It has. It feels like you don't know what you're going to be talking about. It's like what was the old uh, um, uh, wide world of sports? The uh, the uh, thrill of victory and the agony of yeah, defeat. You that's know? where we're it's at. Like, we're on that fence. We are on that fence right now. So you can find us on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, of course, on YouTube, and give us a follow on Twitter. Uh, sorry, X, um, and on Instagram at Believe in Astros. I'm at Jeff Balky. Blummer's at Blummer27, um, and you can find us all over social media. Please be sure to like and subscribe. Thanks very much for all the reviews and all the questions and comments. We love seeing them, and we're super thankful. Uh, Blummer will not be at Minute Maid Park tonight at 10 p.m. for the post game <laughs> for the post game <laughs> show. I bet he'll be he'll be snoozing soundly away after, uh, or, after or maybe two or three deep, depending on the victory or loss. <laughs> well, yeah, 100. <laughs> percent I will still be at the Foo Fighters, having to come home and write both a recap of the Astros game and a review of the Foo Fighters. Well, I'll still be doing that, but... Dude, you're going to be exhausted tonight. Oh, shit. I am going to be really exhausted, but the Foos are awesome. They are awesome. They're awesome. And in a little venue, 713 Music Hall like that. So good. That's going to be legit. So I'm looking forward to it. So everybody have a good night. We're keeping our fingers crossed about this afternoon game. I'm going to have it pulled up on my screen right here watching, as I'm sure all of you will. Everybody have Mm -hmm. a great rest of the week. And as always, go Astros. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows granger has got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.